What an absolute privilege it's been to be with you guys and uh, just loved every moment. What about you, the worship today, wasn't that glorious? I mean, it has been every, <laughs> every, every meeting, but my goodness, I, I didn't want to stop there. But I guess we have to. I, <laughs> anyway, here we go. Praise the Lord. Look, um, one of the things we love to do, you know, before we, uh, before we preach is we love to testify. And uh, there's great power in testimony. Revelation 12, 11 tells us, talking about the saints of God, that they overcame the evil one, that's Satan, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Loving not their lives unto death. It's a very powerful passage. And there's real power when, when we testify of what Jesus has done in our lives. He loves to come and come again and move amongst us and touch our lives to heal, to deliver, to save, to transform. And the wonderful thing is, of course, whatever the Lord does in any of our lives, he will do for others. He's good to all. Amen? If you heard me preach before, you'll have heard me say, God has no favorites except you. <laughs> And uh, I love to say that because it's true, God's love is towards us. He's reaching out to every one of us today. And whether you're here for a first time, maybe you never heard the good news about Jesus before. I can tell you it's the greatest news you'll ever hear. It's wonderful. And so we're going to begin with a bit of testimony here. My dear friend, Zan, he is from South Africa. And uh, it's a huge, huge blessing, uh, you know, uh, to know him, to have him as a friend. Uh, I, you know, when I was a kid growing up in, in my teen years, and there were some times, you know, I wasn't quite on fire as I should have been. And, uh, you know, there were some South African guys who came and stayed with us in our home, actually lived with us as a family for months. Um, you know, and really their walk with Jesus caught my heart. They taught me how to worship. They ministered to me. And, you know, it set me alight for Jesus. They really put some discipleship in my life that, that changed my life. And so every time I come to South Africa, I kind of feel like I'm returning a debt. But I, I've got a friend who continues to invest in me, and he's a wonderful brother. Shall we welcome Zan to come and share his story? Bless you, bro. Thank you, Dan. Uh, hi. Um, as you know, um, John has just said, my name is Zan. Um, guys, I'm a little broken this morning because uh, I grew up here, and I grew up in Tableview. And uh, so there's a lot of, lot of things going on. It's great to be here. Great to be here. And great to see what God is doing here in this place. Because uh, not so long ago, this wasn't happening. Uh, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, married to a wonderful woman, beautiful woman. Her name is Anel, and I've got two boys, Ethan and Alex. And uh, we live in the UK now. We live in a place called Peterborough. And uh, God called us out of South Africa, out of Cape Town, uh, to go to the UK. And uh, so we've been there for quite a while. Um, I think I've still got an accent, though. Um, no, I don't have an accent. Uh, UK people do. <laughs> um, but um, my testimony, um, I want to share a little bit with, with you about my, my life and what, what God has done in my life. And, um, you know, I grew up, when I grew up I was, as a little boy, um, I wanted to just be normal like every other kid, every other child. But that wasn't the, the case for me. Um, not for my family, not for me. You see, uh, my parents um, and the family, there, were, there was witchcraft in the family. There was, there was demonic oppression in, in our family. And um, I grew up 
like as much as I can remember every night, every day, experiencing some kind of demonic oppression, some kind of an, like evil spirits, demons would be tormenting me. I would be chased out of my house. I'd come home from school. I couldn't stay in the house. I had to go play in the garden. Something would chase me out. Every night I would experience demonic oppression. I would be pinned to my bed. I would experience fear. It became like my normal. I thought I didn't understand this as a child. I saw demons appear to me before I was 10. And, uh, you know, you don't want any, any children to go through that. I didn't know what to say to my parents. I didn't know what to say to anyone else. I didn't know what, what, to, what to express of this. Was this normal? Was this just a child in fear? And I grew up, and as I grew up, the darkness intensified. And I didn't really talk a lot with that. My, my sisters in this congregation, Tasha, I love you so very much. We've been through, we've been through a lot. We've been through a lot. I'm sorry, I'm just a bit broken, but we've been through hell. Okay? We didn't know God. We didn't know where that answer was. And as we grew up, I started to get into occultism and new age and witchcraft myself because I was looking for the answers, looking for a way out, looking for hope, looking for an answer to, to this darkness. This darkness didn't just manifest in spiritual attacks and things like that. It manifested in alcoholism in my dad, abuse in the family. You see, the, the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and destroy, and he does it every single possible way he can. And it manifested in our lives, in my life, in every way it could. You know, I hate the work of Satan. And that's why I'm so passionate about it, to, to advance the kingdom of God, to destroy the works of darkness. And my sense in my heart is there's people here today, you've been, you've been exposed to witchcraft, you've been exposed to, to darkness, and you may even be here in church today as a Christian, as a believer, but you're not quite sure because there's still something coming at you. And God can set you free. Jesus can set you free. What happened in my life, when I, I, like the darkness intensified, my dad was almost never home. And there were so many other things going on. There was adultery, sexual promiscuity. I mean, it was just so much. One night, I was, uh, things had got so bad. I mean, we just, I was doing like witchcraft to try and get rid of stuff. And I was walking home from a friend's house. It was about two in the morning. And um, <laughs> walking on a road called Crossroad, where I lived, <laughs> Crossroad. Walking on that road. And I looked up to the stars. And I remembered a song from school. We used to sing a song in school. And the song in school, the words went along the lines of, O Lord my God, how great thou art. 
I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, O Lord my God, how great thou art. I looked up to the stars, and by the way, I was kind of worshiping the stars. I was kind of, you know, I'm not going to go into the detail, but, but this was a different cry. I looked up to the stars and I said, God, if you are real. I cried out actually, I said, God, if you are real, show me who you are. Show me who you are. I've been looking under every rock. Show me who you are. And I carried on. I went home. Within that week, a friend of ours who was involved in witchcraft, actually a bit more than we were, said, knew what we were going through. He said, listen, I've heard about this church. Maybe they can help. And I said to myself, okay, let's go check it out. I'm going to go there, get fixed up, and then I'm going to leave. My heart was right though. I didn't want religion. I didn't want religion. I just wanted God. I just wanted to know who God was. And so we went along. There was a bit of a like, oh, let's check out this thing. Let's see what happens. It became a bit of a, oh, this, this kind of church. They cast out demons. You know, they kind of, they kind of this, this kind of church. I thought it was like an American church, you know, something you heard about on TV or something. And so we went there, it was, a, it was my, my whole family all went, <laughs> except my dad, he wasn't there, but when I walked into the, into the, auditor, into the, the atrium, it was a big church, and, and I walked into the atrium, and somebody walked straight up to me, and, and, and shook my hand and said, welcome. And I'll never forget it, it was like as if Jesus walked straight up to me and said, Welcome. He looked into my soul. He didn't just come kind of, you know, I can't prove it to this day, but it felt like Jesus walked up to me and said, welcome. So welcome team, you never know. (laughs) You never know. But I kind of put it to the side because I I wasn't, I was trying not to, I didn't want to have this kind of something impact me. That, that wasn't actually God. I, didn't, I was trying to, I don't know, I put it aside. And as I walked in to the, to the auditorium, through the main doors, the worship team were up, or leaders were up, I don't know. But they, they were all up on stage and they were praying. They were praying with all of their heart, with fire, with passion. And the guy with the mic was actually, he was, he was lead praying, he was praying it out. This is while everyone's coming here, they were praying. And as I walked through the door, power hit me. I, f- I, f- I tangibly felt power hit me. And I said to myself, wow, this is power. This is powerful prayer. I've never felt power like this. This was different to anything I'd ever experienced or felt. And the guy was praying in tongues. And I said, that must be tongues. That must be tongues. I, was unsa- I didn't know anything. I just said, that must be tongues. And I felt that power hit me. God was starting to say hello. God was starting to say hello. I recognized his power. All I knew was the power of darkness. I had never experienced the power of God. All I knew was that the power of darkness was greater than anything I ever knew. And yeah, I I started to feel the power of God. And we went inside, and I put that to the side. I didn't want it to affect me. I came inside, and we had worship. And it was great because it was like this. 
People were, were full of joy, full of life, full of power. And I said to myself, you know what, I could do this. This is not dead. This is something different. This is different. And I can do this. Remember I said I'm not going to stay. Remember that? God was already planting into me church. And so we all sat down after worship. And I've never seen a pastor do this before. But the pastor or the, or the leader, I'm not sure, you know, was, <laughs> who he was there, said, everyone who's a believer, stand up. And most people stood up. Somehow that word just kind of just went over my head and I kind of recollected it a little too late. I was still sitting. And in that instant as I was sitting there, God spoke to me right in that very split second. In that second, that, that moment, I was in eternity with God. God spoke to me right there and said, if you do not go to the front and confess me as your Lord and your Savior, I cannot call you like I'm calling them. In an instant, I knew that I had sin in my life, where I had pride, where I thought I was good, where I thought I had everything. God was suddenly convicting me of sin. Suddenly I knew that I was not, I was a sinner. I suddenly knew that God was speaking to me. He was introducing himself to me. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I am, I am, I am Jesus. And in that split second, I don't know how long it took, but it was, it was instant for me. I was in, like, in eternity with God. It was me and God, and he was speaking to me. The God who I said, God, show me who you are, was introducing himself. And he came and said, if you do not come to me, I cannot call you. I cannot receive you. I understood everything. It was revelation. When God speaks to you, you understand. When God speaks to you, he speaks as if you've known him all your life. He speaks as if you have known him. He's the God that is in your, that, 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 that person that you want to know all your life until you meet him and then you know him more. And so when I gave my heart, I came to the front and it was at that moment when I came to the front that God delivered me. I don't know what he did, but I was free. I no longer had that oppression ever again. I no longer experienced it. I was free from it. When I came and I prayed, destiny opened up. I suddenly knew there was a destiny. I suddenly knew that the name of Jesus is above every name. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There is no power, not one power above the name of Jesus. You see, I used to think that Satan was like, and God were like fighting in power. I used to think that Satan was winning here on this earth. I used to, I used to think demons were these mighty things. That, that we had, we, you were just done. If you had that, you were done. But now I knew that Jesus was the name above every name and that there, this power had no power over me. I was free from it. And when I went home that day, you know, like I meant to say, like we would sometimes arrive home <laughs> and we'd look at our house and we'd know you can't go inside. 
Our sister's nodding. We can't go inside. We can't go inside. It's too dark. We'd go off and come back later. We arrived home. And in my heart, in my spirit, in my soul, in all of my being, I knew. This is my home now. And when I walked in there, I felt, saw, experienced the darkness flee from that place. This was our home from that time forward. From that time forward, it was our home. This is my home now. And so if you're experiencing these kinds of things, if you've experienced it in the past, and you need freedom, you know what Jesus did for me, he can do for you. But this isn't just about spiritual like oppression. You may be experiencing oppression in, like in, in different ways. The same Jesus, the same God who set me free, who set our family free, can set you free. And what he did for me, he can do for you. Amen. Bless you. Wonderful. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Let's just pray together. Father, we thank you this morning for the wonders that you do in our lives. We thank you for the freedom that you give us. We thank you for the healing. We thank you, Lord, for the peace and the forgiveness of sins. Father God, we pray today that you would move in this place. Lord, we thank you for your presence here amongst us. We pray, Lord, that those who need a touch from you to be set free or to be healed in some way, Lord, spirit, soul, or body, we pray that you would draw near to each one today. And Lord, that you would bring the healing and the freedom that they need. But Father God, we pray most of all that not one person will leave this place without the joy of forgiveness and the certainty of eternal life. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. Amen. Guys, look, um, I want to preach to you today on, on this subject. It's very straightforward. Good news for everyone. Do you know that Jesus is good news for everyone? Amen. He really is. That word gospel, it's a really old word. And, uh, but it actually means good news. Jesus is good news. And he is good news for everyone, everywhere. I love, you know, it's a... Uh, you know, it's the New Living Translation of the Bible that puts it this way where Jesus says, after his resurrection, he appears to the disciples and he gives them the Great Commission. He says, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone, everywhere. You're here today because Jesus wants you here and he's got good news for you. So look, Romans chapter 1 verse 16 the Apostle Paul says these remarkable words. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel or the good news of Christ because it is the power of God to save. And that word save is, uh, you know, the New Testament was written in Greek and the word is soteria. And it means to save, to deliver, to heal. And so it goes and it says, he says, the gospel is the power of God to save, to deliver, to heal. If you take it further in its definition, definition in the Greek language, to free from apprehension and fear. Everyone who believes. How awesome is that? The gospel is the power of God. It's God's great and good plan to save each one of us. 
And thank God it is for everyone who believes. And so in the gospel, we see God's love, we see God's power, and we see God's justice. And I want to talk to us for a few moments about those three aspects of the good news of Jesus Christ. God's love, God's power, and God's justice. And that you can see that it is all for you today. It is for you. What Jesus did, he did for you. He didn't need to do it for himself. He's done it for you. And he's done it for me, for all of us. And he's here for you to encounter. In John chapter 3, verse 16, it's probably the most famous verse of the Bible. Most people at one point or another in their life have heard this verse. And Jesus himself says these words actually to a very religious man, a highly respected man in society called Nicodemus, and uh, who actually came to Jesus by night. And, you know, maybe he's concerned about his reputation and we don't know. But he comes to Jesus by night and he says to him, he says, well, Lord, we know that you are, he says that you have come from God because no one could do the miracles that you do unless they were from God. It's amazing how Jesus just totally sidestepped the, you know, the accolade of that statement and went straight for his heart and said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then he defines it a bit further and says, truly, truly, I say, if a man is not born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Well, we all know what it is to be born of water. Because when you're born, it's where your mother's waters break and you come into this world. I have a particular memory of it because, you know, my, uh, one of our kids, I, I remember, you know, that um, my wife told me that, uh, that she'd had a dream that um, she, was, she was heavily pregnant. She said to me, I had a dream that the Lord said to me that, uh, you know, that Dan would be born at four o'clock tomorrow afternoon. I didn't take it too seriously, you know, I, I, I just, I said, oh, okay. Anyway, we were sitting in the lounge and, and uh, suddenly she said, I, I really feel very tight and uncomfortable. You know, I'm going to go upstairs and have a, have a hot bath. So I said, oh, okay. It was 3.30. So she goes up, you know, I, I've totally forgotten about the dream. And the next thing I hear, there's some shouts from upstairs. The head's here. I thought, what? <laughs> so I, I went charging upstairs, you know, and she said, look, grab some towels and the next thing I knew, here comes this little boy flying out, you know. I'm glad I used to play rugby. I was going to just, just managed to catch him when he flew out. My goodness. Anyway, it's a whole other story, but it just brings back memories. You know, certain scriptures bring memories up in here. That one brings memories for me. Born of water and born of the Spirit. So you see, when we're born of water, we come into this world, that's our natural birth. But Jesus says you need to have another birth if you're going to enter the kingdom of God. Because when we first come into this world, we're alive physically, but we're dead spiritually. Dead to God. And so it's because of sin, original sin. It's in all of us. I don't know about you. Any, any of you have got kids around here? <laughs> so many of you have, I'm quite sure. Well, I don't know about you, but I've discovered something after having a number of kids. You know, it's amazing. I never had to teach any of them to do wrong. It all, it all just happens so automatically, you know. I say to people, I reckon I was a professional sinner by the age of five. It's, and no one had to teach me. I was just good at it, you know. <laughs> Sounds like an oxymoron, doesn't it? Good at sin. <laughs> but I needed to be born again, despite being raised in a Christian home. The evangelist who trained me used to say, God has no grandchildren. 
You don't get into the kingdom of God because of your parents' faith. You need your own faith in Jesus. You need to be born again. And so the thing is, we, when we get born again, when we give our lives to Christ, we're born of the Spirit. It's a work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. It's a miracle. It's more than being intellectually convinced. It's being inwardly converted. It's a miracle of God. I sometimes say to people out on the streets, you know, sometimes you meet some people who are full of arguments and everything else and just want to know this, that, and the other. You know, my earlier days, I used to, I was trained to debate at the kind of school that I went to and all that. I used to love to get into the debates and the arguments, but sometimes I was winning arguments but losing souls. And you know, at the end of the day, nowadays, I just say to people, I said, look, you know, if, you, if, you know, if your questions are genuine and you really do want answers, let's go and have a coffee. I'll be really pleased to help you. There are answers. However, the reality is if you're doing what I used to do and just use arguments to keep God at a distance, why don't we forget about all that? Is there anything I can pray for you? <laughs> Let them encounter the love of God. Once they experience his love and his presence drawn near, my goodness, all the arguments fall down. I sometimes say to the guys, because the truth is, before we know Jesus, we're actually in spiritual darkness. If you can imagine being in a room that's just pitch black, and how silly it would be to stand there in the middle of the room. You can't see anything at all. And, you know, and suddenly say to someone, explain to me what's over there. But you don't even know where you are in relation to what's over there in the room. The answer is to turn the light on. Suddenly you see everything in perspective. And Jesus is the light of the world. And when you receive him, suddenly you see clearly. It's miraculous. It's a spiritual thing. And you become born again. Light comes on on the inside of you. You come to life. The Greeks used to have two different words for, for life. They had the word bio, out of which bios, which out of, we get the word biological or biology today. It talks about physical life. But when, when Jesus uses the word life in the New Testament, he's using a different word. It's not bios, it's zoe. And it means life as God has it. It's an endless life. It's God's own nature and life. We Literally, God puts his own life inside of us. Makes us brand new, gives us his life that changes us from the inside. So the Apostle Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Giving your life to Jesus is not kind of just changing a theological position. It's the receiving of the life of God into your heart. It's being made alive in God, a new person. My goodness, you don't need religion. You need Jesus. He's real, he's alive, and he's for you. And these are his words. He says this to him, to Nicodemus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. That's the heart of God towards you and me today. He loves you today. God loves us, not because necessarily we're lovely, but because he is love. Thank God. Wow. This is an awesome love, and this love is for you. You know, every single one of us, we may keep up a good show, at times, maybe if someone hurts us, I don't know about you, when I was at school back in England, they used to say, sticks and stones will hurt my bones, but words will never hurt me. My goodness me, a greater lie has never been told. We all know on the inside, sometimes we try to toughen up, but the words and the way we're treated go deep on the inside, and they hurt, 
and they form certain things many times in relationships then people become very very uh, they kind of put up like an internal protection to their soul and so they look okay they kind of give the party smile on the outside but on the inside everything is self-protection but you know the Lord wants to heal your heart today he wants to get right behind all of that and right into you the human heart cries out for love it craves love so many people are looking for love in the wrong places and end up living in a world of regret and pain but you know deepest of all the deepest love that we need is the love of God we need the love of the our heavenly father Jesus described God as being a father he's a very personal father he loves you Sometimes we say to people, there's three things you need to know about God. He's powerful, he's personal, and he loves you. And he really does. And he is a loving father. He's not a distant God. He's a very personal God, a personal father. Fatherhood is at a crisis in the Western world today. Our own government, I can remember only three, four years ago, reading in the Daily Mail in the UK, right center page, center spread, government acknowledges fatherlessness as the major social ill of our nation. England is looking at all the statistics across Europe. England has been declared to be the loneliest nation in Europe, now out of Europe. But the stats remain the same. Our immorality has bred a fatherless society. It's impossible to continue in sin and there not be consequences. A one night stand can become a lifelong, you know what I'm saying. Do you know 49 billion pounds are spent on family crisis in the UK every year? 49 billion. That's a lot of money. I can remember a number of years ago, I was, um, I was preaching the gospel in a prison, maximum security male prison in Manchester, a place called Strangeways. And uh, it's an amazing uh, chap, prison chaplain who served there, a man called Noel Proctor, I think he's with the Lord now, but did an amazing work with the prisoners. And uh, he invited us to go in there and to share the good news of Jesus with the men. Do you know, he told us, I'll never forget that before we actually went in to preach to the men that day, he was telling us of a remarkable thing that had happened in the months before. He said that uh, on Mother's Day, he said the prison governor had had this idea that he would provide a free Mother's Day card for any prisoner who wanted to send a card to his mom and say thanks for being a great mom. And they would even pay the postage. And so he bought a bulk load of these Mother's Day cards. And you know, he said it was an amazing thing, but there was a 100% take up. Every single man took a card for his mom and wrote it and said thanks for being a great mom, love you mom and all that. Isn't that lovely? It is. It was such a success that when it came to Father's Day, he thought he'd do the same thing. And he bought a job lot of Father's Day cards and even promised to pay the postage. But you know what I'm going to say, don't you? Do you know the tragedy is that there was not one card, not one card taken. Not one. I don't know about South Africa, but I, in England, our statistics tell us 90, between 93 to 97% of 
every male prisoner in our prisons comes from a broken home. 93 to 97%. It doesn't follow that if you are from a broken home, of course, that you end up in prison. It does, that's, that's not the logic. But, what, but here is the logic. The logic is that the brokenness of our home lives brings a something, a, it, it, it's like a great chasm, something that is broken in the personality, deep at the very root, the very foundations of the soul. Do you know the word family in the Greek text literally means father's house, father's house. And God intends us to be raised up with fathers who love us, who protect, who provide, who care for us, who affirm us and encourage us. And when that's not in place, or even worse, when it's absent or when it's abusive, there's an insecurity that comes. Sometimes there's an anger and a hatred against authority figures that comes. And all of that pain is kicking off on the inside. You know, if, if you've been anything like me where I've, you know, you're trying to help addicts get free and stuff like that through the years, I've ministered to lots of addicts. You know, there's going to come a moment. I don't have to be a prophet to know it. don't have to be particularly perceptive or a great counselor. I just know by experience at some point in that conversation, this statement will come up. Dad did. Dad left. Dad. It'll come again and again and again and again and again. And you know, I just want to say to you today, God is love. He is a father and he wants to come and to heal your heart today. In John 14 verse 6, Jesus said these words, I am the way. The way where? Just to heaven as an impersonal place? Of course to heaven, but much more than that. What makes heaven so glorious? It is the home of the father. He's the way to the Father. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. He's the truth about God. He is the truth. If you want to know the true and the living God, look at Jesus. He is the representation, the perfect, the exact image of the invisible God. Fully God and fully man. I am the way, he says. No one else in the history of the world has ever said that. I am the way, I am the truth, or as the Greek says, the reality. Many people in life struggle with a sense of reality. But Jesus says, I am the reality, and I am the life, the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except by me, except through me. When you come home to the Father, your heart finds its home. Fathers give security. Fathers give worth, self-worth. Fathers protect. God is a loving father when your heart comes home to him. And let me tell you, you may have heard me say this over recent nights. God is not like a father. He is a father. You may have had a terrible dad. You may have had a great dad. But even the best dads are just a very small reflection of the greatness of our Heavenly Father. How consistent and faithful and loving He is. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. So know this, that His love will set you free. Perfect love drives out fear. I, this made a very, very powerful impact on me, even from a young age. 
I can remember at the age of nine going along to a Christian camp out in the countryside where we had lots of fun, but we also had powerful encounters with Jesus. And I remember late one night, there was a boy who had gone through terrible abuse and everything else. He became a friend of mine. I met him there uh, at the camp, but he came from a very broken home and very dysfunctional. And actually, demons had really uh, got on the inside of him uh, because he was only a young lad. But when, you know, when the power of God comes into manifestation in a meeting, sometimes in weather terms, it's a bit like a, a hot front and a cold front meeting. And you get, you know, thunder and a lot of activity. And sometimes, you know, in a meeting and the power of God starts to manifest, if there's something of darkness in people's lives, the power of God confronts that and, you know, things happen. And so this is what happened for him suddenly from, from what seemed a fairly calm environment, but we'd been worshiping and God's presence suddenly came strongly. Suddenly this young lad runs out the back and, and screaming as he goes. And I can remember it took five men to hold him, five men to hold a nine-year-old boy down. Demonic strength coming out there. And they're trying to command this thing out, but nothing was coming out. And I'll never forget this moment. I'd never seen anything like it in my life. I suddenly saw another one of his friends who was close to him suddenly ran across the hall and jumped through the men uh, onto his friend and just shouted at him, he loves you, he loves you, and I love you, I love you. And suddenly he went full limp as the demons left. And I suddenly saw the power of God's love over fear. Perfect love drives out fear. Today you can be set free from fear. It's interesting that even in the Greek text of the New Testament, the word fear, had, there's two different words for it. One of them is a word that is used for respect, and the other one is a word that's used for terror. The Bible says there is no fear in love. God does not want you to fear him in the way of terror. But he does want you to respect him in the way of a son who respects his father. But we don't, if we don't know the Lord, the Bible does say that on that day when he returns, for those who have continually rebelled against him, people will say, let the mountains fall on us to hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and the lamb. There will be terror in the hearts of him because he's a loving savior, but he's a fearful judge. We'll get into that in a moment. But let me tell you this today, number one, that God is love and he loves you. He said, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. You know, in the kingdom of God, in the family of God, there is no such thing as a spiritual orphan. Okay, that went down like a lead balloon, so let me just say to you again. Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. I'm not talking about the orphan spirit. But I'm saying you, the moment you give your life to Christ, you know, you cannot be and never will be a spiritual orphan. Once you are in Christ, you're a son, you're an heir. And by the way, in the original text, there is no such thing as daughters in there. In our, some of our modern translations, it says sons and daughters. But in the original, it only says sons. Now, by the way, that's not a put down to the ladies. It's just that in those days and in that culture, daughters didn't have any inheritance. So it was a massive pickup for the ladies that they had this joint inheritance with the sons. It was phenomenal. It was radical. This is good news. 
So ladies, actually, you are sons. <laughs> and I know that may be hard to take, but listen, us fellas have to get used to being the bride of Christ, so it's also not easy. I can remember years ago, I don't know if you remember that kind of move in the sort of Toronto blessing, they called it. And I, like, there were some songs that came out in that, you know, really seemed to restore this, this loving heart, you know, and everything else. And, and yeah, wow, I can remember there was a song that came out at the time that uh, was written by a guy called David Ruiz. It was from the Song of Solomon. And uh, the song said, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. And uh, I can remember sometimes I was watching in the worship, I'd look around and I'd see all the ladies lost in worship, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. You know, and I'd watch some of the fellows going. <laughs> but, hey. But God is love. In the gospel we experience in the good news of Jesus, it is the expression of God's love to a hurting world. He loves us. Number two, we experience in the gospel the power of God. The power of God. Do you know there's no demon that can withstand the power of the gospel? There is no, there's nothing that can stand against that. You know, it, it, it's amazing. Recently, I, I was in Argentina back in, uh, in May, and there were 10 warlocks, you know, who turned up on the first night wanting to stop us and curse us and all of that kind of stuff. And, you know, um, I'll never forget, I stood up on that first night and just declared the one verse, just one verse from the Bible. But, you know, something, this is a living book. It's God's words. And I can remember just reading, de declaring out 1 Corinthians 1.18, the message of the cross is the power of God. And as I just declared, suddenly 10 of these warlocks all went out under the power of God. And they didn't come to to the end of the meeting. It was like everybody was gone. There's just these 10 guys lying out on the chairs. <laughs> Even better than that, though, was then we went down to uh, Buenos Aires down to the capital, and there were eight warlocks turned up, and they turned up to stop the miracles. This was by their own testimony. But the Holy Spirit said to me before in prayer, he said to me, minister to the sick in the middle of the message, I'll tell you when. So I said, all right, Lord. We were halfway through the message, and suddenly the Lord said, do it now. I stood up, I started to pray, and I felt him lead me to pray for the blind. And 15 blind people got their sight back at that moment. And when that happened, six of these warlocks got up and gave their lives to Jesus Christ realizing they couldn't stop the power of Jesus Christ. And I was particularly thankful because there was another big guy who turned up and sat in the front row with a gun under his a pistol who was there. He'd be hearing a voice saying to him, go in the meeting and kill. And he sat there right in front of me and I was so glad the power of Jesus overwhelmed him. And instead of shooting me, he gave his life to Jesus and handed the pistol to the pastors. Praise the Lord. You know, I just... You know, I look forward to heaven, but I wasn't ready to be promoted quite yet. There we go. But look, let's read a few passages today that encourage us about the power of God. We read in Matthew chapter 4, really early on in Jesus' ministry, Matthew records this. He says, Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demonized, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. 
Matthew 8, 16 and 17 says that when evening had come, they brought to him many who were demonized and he cast out the spirits with a word and he healed all who were sick that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet saying he himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. This is the real Jesus. He saves, he delivers, he heals. Reading that passage reminds me of doing a, an outreach in Slovakia in the early days in Eastern Europe, just after what they called the Velvet Revolution because it was without violence. You know, during that time after the Berlin Wall came down. And so we were, we were helping guys to evangelize and plant churches all over uh, Slovakia at that time. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people were coming to Jesus. It was a, just a glorious time. They'd been told for years under communism that there was no God, but they knew in their heart there was. And so suddenly when they were free to believe, we went and shown the gospel. People were just being saved all over the place. Uh, just amazing. I just used to stand up on a street corner without, you know, without any introduction and just preach Jesus. Jesus and you know as you get suddenly 60 or so people just come out the crowd wanting to give their life to Jesus right on the street corner and people be healed by the power of God walking away with crutches under their arms and all sorts it was it was a powerful time and I can remember turning up at one meeting in a place called Litovsky Mikulash sounds like speaking in tongues doesn't it I and I, I can remember turning up there when I got there, um, the pastor met me and he said to me, John, he said, we've, this is such an answer to prayer. We've been believing for God for a breakthrough in the gypsy community. And he said, you know, for the first time ever, he says, there are 30 gypsies here tonight. I said, fantastic. So I said, okay, let's go for it. I preached the gospel. I gave people the opportunity to give their lives to Christ. Amongst all the others, 30 of the gypsies, all 30 came forward to give their life to Jesus. It's wonderful. Anyway, next day we're out in the streets again and then we're doing this evening meeting. And so I arrived again the second night to do this evening meeting. And when I arrived, the pastor met me at the door. He said, John, we've got a problem. I said, what's that? He said, you know those gypsies who got saved last night? I said, yeah. He said, well, turns out they waited at the back door of the church and uh, rather culture hall as they call them over there, like a community center. He said they waited at the back there and as people left the building, they asked them for money. And if they didn't give them money, they beat them up. He said, what are we going to do? I said, right, um, leave it to me. I'll, I'll think of something. I don't want to say. Anyway, so I, 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 you know, I got up and I preached the gospel just the same on the second night. And I gave the appeal and all 30 gypsies came forward again. So I thought to myself, right, I need to say something. So I, I, I looked at them all and I said to them, guys, it's just fantastic to see you all down the front here. And, and all you 30 guys, are you guys from the gypsy community, wonderful to see you tonight uh, responding to Jesus again, giving your life to the Lord. I said, uh, anyway, look, I, I just before we pray tonight, I, I just need to say something to you. I said, guys, you know, just look at me for a minute. So they look up at me and said, now you know I love you, don't you? And they looked at me and said, yes, John, we know you love us. I said, good, I'm so pleased. I, I hope you still feel that way in a few moments when I finish saying to you what I need to say to you. I said, the thing about it is, is that last night, all of you came forward to give your life to Christ. And, uh, you know, and you prayed, some of you with tears to give your life to Jesus. But then you went and you stood at the back, in the door, and as people came out, you know, you asked for money. And if they didn't give it to you, you beat them up. I said, you know, that's just not salvation, you know. <laughs> I said, don't come forward here saying you're giving your life to Jesus and then go and live like the devil. I said, if you're giving your life to Jesus, 
give your life to Jesus. And suddenly some of them looked at me, some of the men looked like they wanted to beat me up. So I said, everybody bow your head and close your eyes in Jesus' name. (laughs) So anyway, suddenly the Holy Spirit fell on me with boldness. And, you know, and and sometimes when the Holy Spirit fills you, you find yourself doing things you would never otherwise do. And I felt filled with boldness, so I jumped off the platform in amongst them. And I started to lay hands on them, and the power of God started to manifest. And I suddenly laid hands on a girl who's probably about 19 years old. She hits the deck, and she starts screaming, manifesting demons. And she's thrashing about, and her eyes are rolling, and there's voices coming out of her. Well, my training almost got the better of me at that moment. I wanted to go down straight away and cast the demons out. But suddenly this thought crossed my mind that this was the perfect object lesson. So instead of casting the demon out, I suddenly pulled myself back. And everybody's kind of going a bit like this. Never seen anything like this before. And she's thrashing about. So it was a big, tall platform about up here. So I just kind of stepped back and I leant back and just relaxed against the stage for a moment, just looking. And I said, everybody gather around. Everybody gather around. Come and have a look what's going on. So they, so they all, all the gypsies came around, they're looking at us, their eyes are going big like saucers. So I, I, I continued my relaxed pose. And then I said, guys, just look at me for a moment. I said, uh, can I ask you a question about this lady? I said, Do you, does anybody know this girl? And they all said, yes, she's from our community. Now, I don't know if you know much about gypsies over here, but, we, you know, what I'm, so please don't be shocked about what I'm about to say, but it's totally accurate. So uh, she's from our community. I said, wow, Um, does she do this often? They said, no, we've never seen her do this before. I said, oh, that's interesting. You know something, thing is, I said, I really do love you guys. I said, but you know, the thing is, is that in your community, your community is full of lying and stealing, full of immorality and the occult. And that's what you're seeing right there. So if you want to end up like that, just continue the way you are, because you will. But if you want to be free, there is a name that's above every name. His name is Jesus. And you're about to see how he can change the situation. So I went down then in front of them all, cast the demons out. And she just went, as this thing came screaming out. She was totally delivered. And I encouraged her, get her a glass of water, sit her up, we pray for her to be filled with the Holy Spirit. She'd given her life to Christ. And you know, she was totally transformed. The next day we end up baptizing 29 out of the 30 gypsies in the local lake. Some of them are in leadership of churches today over there. But it was an encounter with the power of God. They realized Jesus is greater. Jesus sets people free. Jesus changes lives. And what he did for her, he will do for you if you need it today. Amen? Thank God. There's real power in the gospel. But you know, when we read in Luke chapter 4, Jesus makes this amazing announcement about his purpose. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Just want to talk very briefly about this issue of brokenheartedness. You know, in England we have a saying, it's not so much what eats, you know, what, what you're eating that makes you unwell as what's eating you. I have a doctor on my board at home and, and he tells me that 60, in his experience, 60% of the people who visit him in his surgery every day, the root cause of their problem is psychosomatic. 
But it was re really interesting in the US recently, there was a survey done amongst doctors and they said it's as high as 90%. We are not just physical beings, we're spirit, soul and body. And that means actually that there are things that can go on in here, the way we think, the way we feel and our relationships and so much stuff that can kick off on the inside that affects the physical body. The Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. The Bible says that bitterness dries the bones. How many times have we seen that people who needed healing from arthritis or rheumatism, that when they forgave and released, then the power of God came and healed them in their joints? Because we are spirits, we're trying beings, we're, there's a wholeness to our lives that God wants to bring. On the inside, sometimes internal pain can be worse than physical pain. And yet Jesus can heal it all. He heals broken hearts. In a meeting in our own area where I grew up, it's, it's known as the, you know, it's one of the wealthiest places. Interestingly enough, Cheem Surrey, where I grew up, there's probably more millionaires there than anywhere else in the United Kingdom. It also has the highest rate of teen abortions. Both parents out in London working every single hour that God sends and somebody doesn't trying to pay the mortgage so they become latchkey kids. Children come home from school, there's no one there to welcome them. They get up to no good, they're just looking for love and they end up in trouble with a boyfriend or a girlfriend and so as the history goes on. Anyway, there we are in Cheam and, and I can remember ministering there in a large Anglican church that asked me to do a weekend on the gospel and the power of God. And the power of God really hit very strongly in that old Anglican church. It had a wooden pews and all of that kind of thing. And there were bodies out all in between the pews and all of this kind of stuff as the Holy Spirit moved. And I'll never forget, because you know, sometimes the power of God is just too much for our bodies to handle sometimes. And when that happens, sometimes people go on the floor, overwhelmed by God's power. And I'll never forget that on this particular occasion, there was a woman, very wealthy lady, and she was standing at the back of the church and she was looking around as people were on the floor and, and this is what she said to me in her testimony when I, I had to wait two years to hear her story but she said to me John I was standing at the back there watching all of these things going on around me and when I saw people starting to fall on the floor around me she said I looked up and I said to God that will never happen to me you know I, I was always taught never say never in the kingdom of God <laughs> because the next thing that happened no one prayed for her but she's suddenly on the floor and for the next 40 minutes, she, she wept and she laughed, she wept and she laughed, she wept and she laughed. When she came up after 40 minutes, she was a totally transformed woman. Now, this is, the, this is her story. Two years before that night, she went to see her mum in Sutton, which is just it's the London borough of Sutton, just over the borders from Cheam. Sorry there. And so she went to see her mum. Her mum was a manic depressive. And she owned the penthouse suite in the top, top of the floor of the flats. And uh, anyway, because she struggled so much with depression, her daughter was concerned about her and she went to see her one day and she knocked on the door, but there was no answer. So she knocked it further and there still was no answer. Eventually, she had a horrible feeling something terrible had happened. So with the help of a neighbor, she broke down the door. But when she broke down the door, she saw something you wouldn't wish on your worst enemy. Uh, her mother was hanging and committed suicide. She cut her down, but it was too late. She'd gone. The trauma of seeing that went so deep into her 
that for two years, even though she was a wealthy lady, went to the top Harley Street psychiatrist in London, spent lots of money, no one could get to the depth of her trauma. She, it was just, just like she was just totally numb for two years, neither laughed, neither cried about anything. They couldn't get to the depth of the trauma. But in that one meeting with one touch from Jesus, she was totally released. You know, we're not against psychiatrists and all that kind of stuff. Some of it's good, some of it isn't good. But the fact about it is that Jesus can get to the root of our issues and heal us up, even in a moment. We sing an old song in, in England that goes something like this. Just one touch from the king changes everything. It's absolutely true. Just one touch from the king. I pray today you'll have a touch from the king of kings. Jesus wraps up his statement about himself saying here that the spirit of the Lord is on him to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. When we go on a bit further in the New Testament in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 1 and 2, the apostle Paul says this, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. And actually when he uses the word time there, the Greeks had two different words for time, kairos and chronos. Chronos is like having a whole diary. It's like a calendar across the whole year. But kairos is like having a moment, an appointment in your diary. It's a moment in time. And that's the word that he uses when he talks about salvation. He says basically when you hear the gospel, that's the time to respond. Now is the acceptable time. Today in this place, now is the time of God's favor on you. Now is the acceptable time to respond, not tomorrow, not in three years' time. Now is the time. You don't know if you'll have another time, but you have right now. And you need to take it with both of your hands. So we see that God is a God of love. God is a God of power. In the gospel, we see his love. In the gospel, we see his power to heal, to deliver, to set free. But we see ultimately also the justice or the righteousness of God in the gospel. Really, in his justice, it is the expression of his mercy and his favor towards us. You know, God is a just God. He is a righteous God. Sin must be paid for. God doesn't forgive sins just because he's a nice guy. God is righteous and holy. I was saying last night, if any of you were there, just imagine that some criminal is out and about, let loose here in Cape Town. He's a multi-murderer and rapist. Eventually the police get him and they bring him before the judge and all of his criminality is spoken out, everything's spoken against him. It's spoken before the judge and then the judge listens and finally he brings down the judgment of the case and he looks at him and he says, you've been a very naughty man. However, I'm just going to say to you, I don't ever want to see you again. Now you behave yourself. And off you go. There'd be a public outcry, wouldn't there? Because we all know that the punishment doesn't match the crime. There would be a, a crisis of confidence in the judiciary and in the government. Because actually justice brings safety and security in a community and in a nation. The Bible is absolutely clear. The wages of sin is death. There's no way around that. No one actually gets away with anything in this life. And even if it looks like it, there's going to come a day when. 
we face judgment. So God is a just and holy judge. How could he, sometimes I describe this as the dilemma of God. God being God, it's not a dilemma for him. If God doesn't punish sin, then God can't be trusted. Because it would mean he isn't just. So on one side, God is totally just and holy. He cannot just wink at sin and pretend it never happened. It has to be punished in his holiness or else God wouldn't be holy. But in his mercy and love towards us, he didn't want us to pay the penalty for our sin. So how could he forgive us without contradicting his moral righteousness? The answer was found in the cross. And in the cross of Christ, God, in the form of his son, Jesus Christ, God became a man. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And he died on the cross paying the penalty for our sins, the righteous wrath and judgment of God against the sins of the whole world were poured out on his own son at that moment when the sky went black. Every demon of hell, just every demonic oppression came upon Jesus at that moment. The weight of the sin of the world came on Jesus. John says this in his letter in chapter 2, verse 1 of 1 John, that Jesus is the propitiation, which means the appeasement of God's wrath through a sacrifice, through a sacrifice of himself for our own sins. He's the propitiation for our sins, and not only our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. What is the world population today? 71 billion or something? Everyone needs forgiveness every day. Not one person loves the Lord their God with all their heart, all their mind, all their strength. You know, at every second of every moment of the day. So everyone has sinned and everyone sins every day. Think about it. 71 billion sins at least every day. And the blood of Jesus is the price that satisfies it all in the justice of God. That's mercy. Total mercy. In the sacrifice of Jesus, you just imagine that moment as, as we see in Scripture where Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane before he goes to the cross as Father, if there's any other way, let this cup, what cup? The cup of the covenant between him and the Father for our salvation. Let it pass from me. Nonetheless, not my will, but yours be done. He was raised from the dead by the blood of the everlasting covenant. Hebrews 13, 20 says, in other words, God the Father was satisfied with the sacrifice of Jesus for our sins. The wages of sin is death and his resurrection from the dead. Let me tell you, if there was one sin, if there was one sin, that could not be forgiven here today, Jesus would still be on that cross. He'd still be in the grave. But his resurrection declares that forgiveness is possible for every human being because Jesus paid it all. Paul brilliantly summarizes it with these words, 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 
I sometimes illustrate it to guys out on the streets by saying this. In monetary terms, imagine this. If I walk you down to the lawyer's office and I, if I was a multimillionaire and you owe 100,000 pounds and you're that in debt, and I say, come with me to the lawyer's office and we sign a document where all my millions go into your account and all your debt comes into mine. In monetary terms, it's exactly what Jesus has done for you and me. We could never pay for our sins. We had a debt that was too great. But Jesus paid it all. Aren't you glad? My. I can remember. I just want to bring this to a close. But I, but I just want to say this to you as a simple story that illustrates the great joy of salvation. And I've got to read one last scripture to us and encourage us before we close in prayer today. I can remember preaching the gospel in a church in the south of England, and I did a mission. And there was an old man, he was 82, and he gave his life to Jesus, like some of you will in a few moments. He responded to the appeal, and he came forward, and he prayed, and received the Lord as his Savior. Anyway, about six months later, I was back in that local church, and I was preaching, and I'll never forget, I remembered that old man, and so I said to the pastor, how's that old boy doing? And he said to me, oh, John, he's doing great. He loves Jesus. He's walking with the Lord. He said, there's just one problem from a pastoral point of view. I just, you know, I, I, I don't know. I wonder if you could help us. I said, what's that? Well, he said, you know, he's so excited about being forgiven and about having eternal life. He's just in every meeting. And I said, well, that's wonderful. I, I said, you know, but what's the problem with that? He says, well, you know, I, I mean, he's in the women's meeting. You know, he's in, he's in the children's meeting. He's in every single meeting, you know. He said, I, I just, you know, I... You know, it makes some people a little bit uncomfortable. I just don't know whether you could do something to help us. I said, Look, leave it with me. I'll think of something. Anyway, so later on that morning, I saw the old, the old chap, and we had a chat together. And he said, oh, Jonathan, it's wonderful to see you. I said, and he gave me a big hug. He said, you were the man who led me to Jesus. I said, well, praise the Lord. That was a privilege. And he, he, I said, how are you doing? He said, oh, I'm doing wonderful. Jesus is amazing. He said, you know, and, and I said, that's so good. I, I hear you're in church, you know, a lot. He says, uh, yes, I am. I said, oh, I just get along to everything I can. And I said, well, that's, well, that's fabulous. I said, um, look, actually, I just wanted to talk to you a little bit about that. Um, uh, I said, you know, it's great that you're, getting, you're in church and everything. But, um, yeah, you know, um, the, the women's meeting? And, uh, you know, really, it's, uh, and, and, the, and the kids' meeting and all of that. You know, I said, really, it's, it, it's not really appropriate. I, I, I just want to encourage you to get along to all the others and all the rest of it and pray for the other meetings. But... Yeah, you know, I, I think it's probably best to let the ladies get on with it, you know. <laughs> anyway, he looked at me for a moment, and then tears started to roll down his cheeks. He said, Jonathan, you don't understand. He said, I, I was lost, totally, totally lost for 82 years. At some points in my life, I thought I was good enough. I'd, I'd even gone along to church. I'd been a choir boy. I'd taken the, I'd, I'd, I did all the things, but I never knew the joy of forgiveness. And knowing Jesus, he said, it's so amazing. And then he just paused and looked at me and says, I'm just trying to make up for lost time. <laughs> well, I understood. Anyway, I can't remember how I managed to finally settle it with him. But the point is, when you really discover the joy and the wonder of forgiveness, 
and a relationship with the one who the Bible describes as the lover of our souls, the desire of all nations, it changes everything. Glory to God. Let me close with these last scriptures. Isaiah the prophet prophesied with scintillating accuracy 600 years before Jesus came into the world and paid for our sins. With these words, he prophesies and describes him remarkably. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne, the literal says, he has borne our sicknesses and carried our pains. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised or crushed for our iniquities. That word means literally our acts of rebellion. The chastisement necessary to give us peace, wholeness and well-being was on him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. John says, in this is love. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and gave his son as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is amazingly good news. There's a heavenly home waiting for us. We can know God as our father, know his provision and his blessings, his healing, his peace, forgiveness, a close relationship with God as our heavenly father, Know the joy of being part of his family, sons and daughters in the kingdom of God. There's so much that we were made for in him. And great purpose and destiny that he has for every one of our lives. How do we respond to this? In the words of Jesus Christ, repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. Repentance means to change your mind, change your direction. It's like coming into a train station on one train going in that direction, getting out of the train, crossing over to another train going in the opposite direction and then going in that one. Turning our back on sin, turning to God and putting our faith in Jesus that he died for our sins and rose again from the dead. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you believe in your heart, notice how personal this is. No one else can do this for you. You have to make your own choice. You've got to do your own repenting and your own believing and your own confessing. If you believe in your heart, God raised Jesus from the dead and you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. That's a cast iron promise from God. And today he's calling you to himself. You need to respond. Today is the day of salvation. This is the good news for everyone, everywhere, and all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You have to respond, and now is your moment. For a few moments, in respect of God, can we please just bow our heads and close our eyes and take a few moments to seriously consider where we stand with God, and actually very seriously where we're going to spend eternity. It's only a breath away for all of us.
In a few moments, I'm going to lead us all in a prayer, a prayer to receive Christ as our Lord and Savior. If you've never prayed to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior before, this is your moment to do so. I will leave gaps after each sentence I say for you to repeat the words, but make the prayer your own. Believe it. Mean it. As you're talking to God, say the words and let him come into your heart. He will come. And a relationship with God will begin that will go on through time and into eternity. Some of you will be praying it for a first time. Some will be praying as a recommitment of your life to Jesus. You prayed years ago, but you've gone away from the Lord. And he's calling you home. Come back to the Father's arms today. He's waiting for you. And everybody else, pray the prayer to support those who need to as a first time or recommitment of their life to Christ. Say these words after me. Let's come to the Lord together. Let's say this together. Lord Jesus, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you died for my sins. Lord, I believe in you. I believe you're risen from the dead. And today, Lord, I choose you. I receive you. I turn from my sins to follow you. I boldly confess that Jesus is Lord, that you are the only way, that you are the truth, and that you are the life. And I receive you right now as my Savior. Forgive my sins. Come into my heart. Change me, Lord. Make me brand new on the inside. I will love you and serve you as long as I live. Thank you for hearing and answering my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.